Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to another all-new edition of Geek Me Radio. Today, we are joined by the incredible, award-winning Andrea Romano, talking all about her career, what she's been up to in her retirement, and we'll get into all that. Stand by. are going to roll right into it uh, with the guest who we have with us for the whole hour. We are joined now by a woman who has more Emmy Awards than I've had hot dinners in my life, the genius <laughs> Andrea Romano. How are you? <laughs> well, thank you very much. We have to get you another hot meal. <laughs> that's true. Yes, I keep telling my wife that, but she she likes the Lunchables. She said that's that's all I need. So, <laughs> so since last we've spoken, uh, you've been greatly enjoying your retirement. I love seeing all the adventures that we, uh, we've talked about back and forth. You just got done touring upstate New York for the uh, what was supposed to be the Woodstock 50th anniversary, but it still sounds like you had a lovely time. We did indeed, and we knew when we were headed up there already that the events that were supposed to take place in Watkins Glen were canceled, but uh, I have a dear friend from college whose brother owns a home in that area, and so we went up and spent a week with them and just had a fantastic time in beautiful upstate New York at the, you know, the middle of August, and we had the very kind of weather that they had in 1969 when the the concert took place. We had massive thunderstorms that rolled through, and um, lots of wind and rain, and and my hosts laughed at us because I so enjoy weather. And I kept saying, look, <laughs> weather! And they laughed at me because I've lived in Southern California now for 40 years, and it's almost always warm and sunny here. That's pretty much the forecast for any particular day. And I never thought I would tire of that, but I actually do miss some of the nice fall weather. And that was just a lovely trip, just terrific. And you're going to, I believe you said Chicago in September for a while. You said you've never been to Chicago. Isn't that embarrassing? My husband and I have traveled the world and not spent any time in Chicago except to change planes, which is just crazy. And I have so many friends. We have so many friends from Chicago that we adore and who say nothing but wonderful things about that city. So we're about the, the trick was to go during the right uh, weather, mm -hmm. the right season, because um, I went to undergraduate school in upstate New York near Buffalo, and so I know what lake effect weather is like, mm -hmm. and I thought, not going there in the winter, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> no. 
And then I thought also the middle of the summer is brutal. So we're going to go mid-September and uh, spend a week or so uh, exploring that magnificent city and uh, play with that. And then I believe I'm invited to New York Comic Con in October, uh, where we'll be celebrating, because uh, we're still celebrating the 20th anniversary of Batman Beyond. Yes. Which is a terrific series that I loved working on. That's uh, amazing to think that 20 years has passed uh, since that show, uh, especially when you look back on all the stuff. We just had the 25th anniversary of Batman the Animated Series uh, last year, and we're right. celebrating the... I know a lot of people, there's that uh, fan cry for the Justice League reunion. A lot of people were just pointing out that this is the 15th anniversary of the Justice League Unlimited series on Cartoon wow. Network. Wow. Wow. It's just shocking to me, these these anniversaries that take place that are, you know, double digits, and then when we talk about 20 or 25 years, because, you know, I look at the actors that I worked with, they look the same. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think I look the same. <laughs> but the thing that reminds us that time is going by is not just these kinds of anniversaries, but our friends and families' children. Yeah. Who were, you know, five years old when a series first hit the air and they were big fans and now they are in college or their kids are watching that series now. And it's just that reminds you that time is marching on. And I don't know if Susan Eisenberg has actually gone full Amazon, but she doesn't appear to age either. I'm not sure if it's something in the the, the water in Paradise Island or what. <laughs> I know, I know. She looks great. Kevin Conroy yeah. looks fantastic. All the Will Friedle, I just spent some time with him in um San Diego. We did the San Diego Comic Con and spent some time there and he looks fantastic. I I mean these very, very lovely, wonderful friends of mine and I'm so happy that we're still in contact, um, even after all this time. And, you know, almost without fail, we all are of the mind that if more of these particular series were to be made, more episodes of these series or a movie that had to do with these series, we would all be on board. And I've said it many times and certainly I still it still holds true that even though I am retired and am loving retirement, <laughs> I would consider coming out of it for the proper project, for something that's really special and close to a lot of our hearts, and, you know, of course, for the proper compensation, right. that would make it worthwhile for me to, to come out of retirement. But it's, um, I have to tell you, it's a, it's a pretty glorious life right now. I have a, a beautiful lifestyle of, of getting up in the morning and doing my exercise kind of on my own schedule. I think I've made this joke with you before about what, you know, what I do every day, anything I want. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> crazy because, you know, when you work in production, in television production and film production, your time is not your own. You mm -hmm. are at the mercy of that production. And just because you have done your work on time and on schedule and on budget doesn't mean that everybody else on that project will have. So, for example, for the voice recording, at the very beginning of a project, if the script comes in late, we were expected as the voice department to make up that lost time. So we would have less time to record the project. If during the animation process anything got behind schedule, when it got for time for us to do ADR, we were expected to make up that time that was lost during earlier production. And so it was quite stressful. And as much as I love it, and I did love it, it my time was not my own. It was, Andrea, you have to get this done by next Friday. And so schedules had to be shifted and actors had to be pleaded with <laughs> to come in and work <laughs> on a certain day. 
day that they normally don't work on or whatever. And uh, and now my life is different. Now my life is much more um, decisions that I make as opposed to decisions that other people have made. And with you having done this for uh, nearly three decades, I, I would assume that technology has made that a little easier as far as, hey, I need you to, uh, to record this quicker. So Tara Strong just does it right out of her living room. I'm assuming that helps a little bit with shaving some time off. It does. Um, and just like any technological advances, um, if you depend on them, you will ultimately be disappointed <laughs> because something will break down when you're in dire needs and you've counted on it working. If, however, it's kind of like when you know you've got to get something emailed to somebody by a certain time and you've waited till the last hour before it's due, and then you try to get into your computer, something falls apart. This is the same thing with technical things where we are desperate to get a recording from London, say, and we do an ISDN and some technical aspect will simply fall apart and we cannot make it work. At the same time, um, it has opened up casting opportunities for people who don't live in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. for people who live in New York or, or any of the or have access to the larger um, cities where they can get to a studio that has ISDN recording. And, you know, I remember so well when we were first doing recording, say, to Vancouver, which isn't even a time difference from here. But when we were using reel-to-reel, because I'm just that old, and we were using <laughs> reel-to-reel tape, and we were doing a phone patch. It number one wasn't a great connection. I couldn't hear the voices any better than I could in any landline phone line, and so there's interference on that. And then we had to literally wait until that tape was shipped to us, whether it was FedEx or whatever, uh, to have the actual recording in our hands that we could then edit into a show and continue the process. And oftentimes, because it was coming from Vancouver, which means across country lines, it would get held up in customs. Right. And so sometimes we would be five, six, seven days waiting for a recording that had been done. Now when we do an ISDN recording, because it is bounced off of a satellite and actually recorded, so let's use the same Vancouver example, we're in Los Angeles, the talent is in Vancouver, the satellite beams the voice from Vancouver up, I mean the voice is beamed up to the satellite and then back to Los Angeles. When we finish that recording session, we have have the recording in our hands. Yeah. We we also have the ability now to email large files that might be a recording session to another location and and that quality is excellent. And so that that does save us a ton of time. But um and it opens up a lot of casting opportunities and stuff. So yes, it does help. I was hoping that during my working years we would have figured out systems well enough so that I could be practically anywhere in the world with my computer and direct a cast who could be located in various different places throughout the globe and record them all simultaneously as if they were in the room at the same time. Mm -hmm. For example, a handful of actors in Los Angeles, one or two in Chicago, three in New York, one in Japan, two in England, and everybody be hooked up by headset where you could hear each other um, as if you were in the same room altogether. And I was hoping that was going to happen before I retired, but it didn't. But I believe that will happen in in our lifetimes. I believe that there there will be a situation where where people can all record simultaneously as if they were in the room. And that sense of ensemble record is really priceless. It, it, It saves so much money in that you don't have to do a bazillion takes for one actor because you know after one, two, three runs of a scene, 
if that take has worked, if that run has worked. And you get a couple of pickups and you move on. And so it's a big time saver to have any kind of ensemble record. And so many people that we've had on the show before have praised you for the fact that you still do it as an ensemble. Like uh, I know the Justice League cast has talked about that. Uh, the, some of the Animaniacs people talked about having everyone in the same room makes it easier on them, on their part as an actor, but also just the way you're able to direct, it must make it quite a bit easier on you as well. We're going to come back getting the answer to that question from Andrea Romano right after this, so stand by. This is Tress McNeil, and you're listening to Geek to Me, and James is the cute one. (laughs) And we are back. This segment brought to you by Historic St. Charles. Go to the website, discoverstcharles.com. That's discoverstcharles.com. Dot com. If you are in the greater St. Louis area, hopefully you've gone and visited. Uh, you've heard me talking about them since the beginning. Three years now. I can't believe we've been on the air for three years. And the wonderful Convention and Visitors Bureau at St. Charles has been with us every step of the way. They were the first ones to come on board and said, absolutely, we'd be happy to sponsor this show. And this show literally wouldn't be possible without them, without their support. And you need to go see it. And I don't just say that because they're supporting the show. I approach them. I don't ever have sponsors on who I don't know their product, not familiar with their product, or I don't believe in their product. And their product is incredible. Their product is history. Their product is unique shopping and dining. Their product is amazing food. Their their product is fun. If you are in the area, Legends and Lanterns is right around the corner. The last three weekends of October, their huge fall festival, that's always a good time. This is their, I believe, third or fourth year they've been doing Legends and Lanterns. And it's just like their sister festival, Christmas Traditions, where you get to go and you get to interact with living history characters like Edgar Allan Poe and Mary Shelley uh, to fantastical characters like Vlad Tepe's, who Count Dracula was based on. And you'll get to do face painting. They've got crafts. They've got activities. It's a family event. Uh, so think fun, not scary. Uh, they will give a little bit of the supernatural aspect, but it's, it's very fun. And it is a, I want to stress, family-friendly event. And it's great. Bring the kids out in costume. Uh, the little ones have a great time. And it's a, a fun event for the last three weekends of October. Legends and Lanterns. You can get more information about that and the city itself. Go to discoverstcharles.com, as I always like to say, for an historically good time. Right before we went to break, we were talking with my guest who's on for the whole hour, Andrea Romano, and we were uh, discussing what it is like working on an ensemble-type setting. Much, much. I don't have to remember what the actor who speaks right before the guy who's in the room with me, how he did the line, I can, or which one we actually chose, and it may not even be edited yet, so we may not even know which one. So that means I have to get many, many, many more takes from each individual actor when they're recording by themselves. The other thing is, a major um, part of acting is reacting. It's it's listening to your scene partner, listening to whoever is speaking to you in the scene, and reacting based on their performance. So if somebody says to you, I am not going to do that, you're going to react in a certain way. If somebody says to you, I am not going to do that, you're going to react probably in a different way. And so it's very nice to have that actor right in front of you 
to to feed you that line so that you can appropriately respond. And and that way we can play scenes many different ways. Sure. Uh, one right after the other and decide which one we like. And and that gives us the chance to not have to individually edit every single line of every single scene multiple times right. to hear different versions of that scene. So it, it's a time saver in many, many ways. And talking about the group ensemble, uh, we just, I guess, last month had both Susan Eisenberg and Ken Schreiner. So we had a Green Arrow Wonder Woman oh, reunion nice. in the studio here. And Ken, nice. Ken said he did not have to audition. Uh, how did, How did you pick... Ken, was it something you saw him in, or are you a General Hospital fan? If you could just, we, which, it, Ken it, didn't even know. Things. It was um, when we first cast the series, we knew which characters were going to be either regulars or recurring often enough that we did auditions from the get go. Then, once you get into the series, and someone says, "Oh, you know what? I want to bring this character in," and we didn't audition him, but here's the description. Here's what we like, and for that show and that um, those episodes in particular. Bruce Tim was a huge novella is the word I'm thinking of. Um, oh, so you know, about general, general hospital yeah. fan, mm-hmm. um, and he tells me he used to watch them with his mom, and that was a very sort of sweet time that he used to have with his mom was watching soap operas, and, uh, and so he was very familiar with Kin. And Kin has been doing you know soap operas for decades. Mm-hmm. Really recognizable guy and um, good strong voice and a strong actor, and so um, we just it was just like casting a guest star. We just and you know you never know when you bring in a character like that, how the audience will respond and how often you'll have that character appear. And so it was a popular character. It did well. The actor did well. And so he appeared in quite a lot of episodes. So no, he did not have to audition. We just booked him. And I know you talked before about uh, the other guests that you've had on who you kind of immediately knew you wanted Nathan Fillion for Vigilante. Uh, yes. You wanted Gina Torres for Vixen. So were there, were there any of the ensemble cast from the, since we're talking about the 15th anniversary of Justice League Unlimited, who, who you did audition have to pick through or most of those people, someone's like, you know what, this is the right person for this particular role? Very good question. Of course, that's requiring me to have a memory. <laughs> <laughs> a, a casting director's job is to supply options to producers, directors, you know, whoever has, say, executives. And so as much as I might ever absolutely 100% be convinced that somebody is the right person, I must submit multiple choices for people to make a decision. And sometimes that backfires, and sometimes it proves exactly my point, which is I think head and shoulders this person is better than these other three people that I submitted. And after listening to it, the producers, the directors, the executives agree that that is the right person. Sometimes they hear something in another voice that they just really like, and they don't go with my you know, my favorite. Mm. Now, um, because I'm also the director, I, I have a little bit more say than just if I were the casting director. I actually can say I have experience with this actor. I've directed them before in another series. They are terrific. They're versatile. They can do this. And sometimes I win the argument and sometimes I don't. And I'm fine with that. I, but I really will fight for someone who I think is absolutely the right guy. That said, um, you know, with Justice League, Kevin Conroy was already there. Right. Um, I think that was the point at which we had to recast Superman because Tim Daly was no longer available to us because of his schedule on the East Coast. And it really was just a matter of that within our production period, we couldn't get to him often enough to get the recordings done so that we could move forward and keep 
the schedule. I think that's the time. I could be wrong, but that's, I think, when we found the beautiful George Newburn and he became our Superman uh, for the Justice League. Um, and that was, you know, an absolute fluke. I, I love George Newburn. I knew him. He auditioned for Superman. We all liked it. We didn't try to do any kind of sound alike, and yet when we listened to him in the first recording session with him with the group, we went, you know, he kind of sounds like Tim. Yeah. And that was just a bonus. That was absolutely not, we did not go in trying to cast a sound alike. That was just lucky. Um, but for the most part, the casting of those characters for Justice League, the main ensemble cast, was a situation of me submitting three, four, five actors um, and, and when I say that, sometimes it's three, four, five submissions, and two of those submissions may be the same actor doing two different voices. Hmm. For example, for Green Lantern, uh, Phil Lamar might well have given two submissions because um, he's just that good and that versatile. Right. Uh, and so I don't think there was ever any – in that particular show, I don't think anybody ever was – uh, that it was ever uh, debated or that somebody said this is the wrong guy. I think we pretty much uh, had worked together long enough, most of us, that we could say we all agree this is the right guy. And talking okay. about your, your casting decisions and everything, I did put out a tweet that said uh, I was speaking with you and to see if anybody had any questions they'd like me to pass on. We have mm-hmm. uh, at user Bill Lonergan NJ wants to know what is the most inspired bit of casting that you are the most proud of? Was it Ed Asner as Granny Goodness? <laughs> I wish I could take credit for that. That was actually Bruce Tim's idea. Oh, okay. Not my idea. I can't take credit for it. I'm glad that Ed said yes. But uh, and I, I think he did say yes, partially because he knew it was me and that it, it wasn't a joke and that we were actually <laughs> going to make that work. Um, there, I'll tell you, uh, if you're talking about every single series ever, one of my most proud castings was uh, I did an episode of Pinky and the Brain that was a spoof of Hamlet. And I hired Carrie Elways to play Hamlet and Olivia Hussey, who played Juliet in Zeffrelli's Romeo and Juliet, um, to play Queen Gertrude. And that was a little moment of pinching myself because I'm, <laughs> I, I was such a huge fan of both those actors in the various different projects they had done. Carrie Elways is still a dear friend of mine uh, and um, worked for me not long ago on a um, Puss in Boots and was awesome. And Olivia, I've lost track of, unfortunately, but we, we got to know each other a bit. I also love the fact that I was able to direct Steven Spielberg. Many people can lay claim to having been directed by Steven Spielberg, but very few of us can say we directed <laughs> him. And he did an episode of Tiny Toons where he played himself, and that was great fun. Uh, and I've directed a couple of directors, and what's really interesting is how nervous they get. Um, hmm. John Landis, I directed, and he was so nervous, like quite nervous. Did a great job, got a great performance out of him, but and I think that was for the Boondocks that I was directing him. Okay, but uh, it's interesting because they're they're not in their comfort zone. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, it's it's a different, it's a totally different gig for them. It's kind of like every once in a while I'll put a producer behind the microphone, just so they get a sense of what it is that actors go through. Not long ago, I was gifted this fantastic honor of the Windsor McKay Award by the Annies. And um, I gave a speech that spoke about... And I cut it off right there because we're going to get the uh, answer to what her speech was about right after this, so stand by. Thank you. 
Hey, Gadbrain, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Listen to Geek to Me Radio and then try to take over the world. Narf! The Pinky and the Brain. It's Pinky and the Brain. And we're back. With Andrea Romano, uh, we were. She was talking about a speech that she gave when she got this prestigious award, and I stopped it right there because a, I was trying to keep it to time out right, but also because I like to build suspense. And so here's what she spoke about in that speech she gave. The value of getting to know, if you work in animation, getting to know what everybody's individual contribution is. What is a story pitch like? What happens in an ADR session? Hmm. What are in-betweens? What is layout? Go to, I suggested that everybody who works in the industry who has an office somewhere or a cubicle somewhere, ask to sit in to, and watch an editor work on cutting in sound effects or watch uh, a Foley session or something just to see how everybody's contribution fits into making this cartoon. So it may, let's say that the average cartoon takes nine to 10 months to make from the beginning to the end. So many people are involved. And if you know that the sound effects editor is going to need your work by this date because he can't do a good job unless he has it because you've seen what his job is and how he has to do his job. You are so much more respectful of getting him his material on time than you would be if you had no idea what it is they do. Sure. And so I've always thought that that was a good idea to find out what every different department does, how they do it, and how your work impacts what they do. And I know that's a lot of uh, when I was in high school, even when we did theater, you had mm-hmm. to work in the scene shop. You had to do, you know, you had to have your hands and everything. So for that very reason is so you could appreciate all the other stuff that goes into when you're out on stage. This is it's not just you. This is all the other moving parts that are making what you're doing happen. So I think that's, that's brilliant. fantastic that you had that in high school. The college I went to, the undergraduate college, State University of New York at Fredonia, their theater department did that as well. You had to learn how to build a flat. You had to take stage makeup and costuming and all that. And I think that's probably where I learned that theory was you you will be so much better and so much more a fulfilled performer, whatever it is you choose to do, set designer, lighting designer, if you know what everybody else is going through to, to make their contribution. So I fully agree with you. And what a progressive school you must have gone to. Where did you go to school? Hazelwood Central. Up there. I, I wouldn't have at the time considered it progressive, but in that aspect, I suppose they were. <laughs> yeah, truly, truly. That was very forward thinking as far as the theater department. Good for them. Our, our main graduate was Kate Capshaw, who is obviously uh, uh, married to Stephen Spielberg. She was the graduate from Hazelwood Central who uh, the the theater department was most proud of. Excellent. And rightly so. She's terrific. I love her. And from the Twitter post I did, we did get a friend of yours. uh, I think his name is Maurice LaMarche said, he didn't have a question. Just tell her I love her. I love him so much. You know who Mo is? Maurice is the brain. I'm thinking the brain. Absolutely. He's so many wonderful voices um, on Animaniacs. He was one of the pigeons. Um, And I had the great good fortune down in San Diego to go to the Animaniacs live show that Rob Paulson and Mandy Bogill do throughout the country. And and it was so great to see all my pals. And Peter Hastings was there, and and Maurice was there, and they've added a song for him in the show. And it made me so happy to see um, this wonderful... uh, just it's a terrific live show. I've seen it many times, and it gets better every time I see it. They 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 improve. They add some more stuff to it. I think that it was a very specific audience down there in San Diego, so they they kind of catered the show toward them. Yeah, 
it's just terrific, and, and I adore Mo. And Mo and I went through our times together. We kind of came <laughs> up through the ranks together. And there, there were some issues, but we've always worked through them, and we're here on the other side of it to say how much we love each other. No, he was, he's been on the show twice now. He's very, very, uh, speaks very highly of you, and he has often said, and I'll, I'll paraphrase because I can't say it for radio, he says he knows he was a pain in the tuchus sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good word. <laughs> but yes, he, he's uh, he's he's wonderful. Everyone I've had on the show going uh, like we've had Rob Paulson, uh, we've had Maurice Lamarche, we've all the way to uh, newer people like uh, Jeremy Shade has been on. They all oh, just gush about you. Every single person, Bex Taylor, Klaus, right. uh, Kimberly Brooks have all just nothing but good things have been said about you. And that's got to be, I assume, it must be nice as a person who's worked with these people. Well, but to, as a as a human being to have such a legacy of love that you're leaving uh, as you retire. Uh, hopefully we'll get you back behind the uh, directing uh, for the right gig. But but to, to know that that's out there must make you feel just incredible. It's so lovely. It, it really is remarkable. And, you know, uh, this, I'm, I'm saying this with no ego. Um, I don't know that the industry is going to um, be structured so that they will ever be able to be another situation like I had. I was able to direct so many projects at so many different studios and... Um, and I don't, I, I, I don't think anybody's ever going to be able to do that kind of massive amount of work. People get a little bit more possessive of their voice directors. Mm-hmm. They ask for a little bit more, um, I don't want to say loyalty because that's not true. I couldn't have been more loyal to any of my employers that way. But uh, it's also just because of the nature of every show and because people are not doing ensemble records as much, the directors have to be available many more hours to produce a single half hour of recording material than I than I used to have to. So, example, uh, for example, if I could get the entire cast together for an episode of, let's say, the Justice League, mm. I could record an entire episode in four hours, rehearse it, record it, done. And then some eight months later, I would do another four-hour ADR session, and it was done. The directors who are working now may have to reserve as much as eight to 12 hours for the initial record because they're only getting three actors on that day and then the next day they're getting two actors from there and then one actor on that day and then so day after day after day so they aren't um, available to actually take as many projects as I was and you know I always joke that I was a workaholic in the throes of my addiction and it's true I loved my work I loved being busy and there would be projects that would be presented to me that I just didn't want to pass up I didn't want to miss the chance to work on the boondocks I didn't want to miss the chance to work on a reboot of Thundercats or of uh, Voltron or something else. So I often said yes to uh, more projects than, than most directors now could just purely schedule. And so I'm very proud of the quantity of work that I was able to do, as well as the fact that the majority of it was quality. And that's not to say that I didn't work on some projects that were stinkers. And and uh, I'm lucky that most of them never hit the air. Mm. They just they recognized that they were not they didn't have good animation on it or the scripts weren't good enough or they didn't have enough money to finish it or whatever it was. A lot of them never saw the light of day, but um 
I'm so proud. Each actor that I work with, especially those that become that are regulars on a series, they're like my child. I worry for them. I I I I, I get to know them so well because we have time in recording sessions to get some information about everybody's personal life and chat. And you know, I worry when they talk about they're going through this or their kid is going through this or they're you know in the middle of a divorce or this and this and this. And um, so they become like not just just friends they're like family and that also i think is the benefit of an ensemble record is it it does become like a family when we did a comic-con two years ago in denver with the justice league which is when i believe the the push for fans to let warner brothers know that we wanted to make more justice league episodes um it was like old home week it really was like the family got together again and we did a beautiful table read for the the audience and it it was Joyful. We we loved seeing each other. It was like Thanksgiving without the nasty part. You know? <laughs> Getting together for Christmas holiday without the nasty family part. Only good family parts. And so that was great. And we are going to hear what Andrea Romano thought about the final season of Voltron Legendary Defender right after this. So stand by. Hi, I'm Becky Taylor-Klaus from Voltron. I play Pidge, and you're listening to geek to me Radio. We are back. This segment brought to you by Marcus Theaters. If you listened a couple weeks ago, we had Brett Hoffman from Marcus Theaters, his uh, social media director, talking all about the fun movies that have been out this summer. We kind of recapped and went over... Uh, with the movies that were out and what was in theaters, what we liked, what we didn't like, and talked about some great movies that are coming out. And if you're going to see some of these movies, like if you haven't yet seen Downton Abbey or you're looking forward to seeing some of the other movies that are coming out, you should go to MarcusTheaters.com is the website, MarcusTheaters.com, and get your tickets or look up reviews of some of the movies or look up movies that are coming out so you can kind of get an idea of what you want. And you might be listening to this outside of St. Louis as well. Well, we can't go to Ronnie's and we can't go to the newly renovated Arnold Theater that they're working on. That's okay because there are 10 other states in which you can find a Marcus Theaters and you can do it all from the website. Find the location nearest you. Then you buy your tickets. You can look at the menu of some of the uh, in-theater restaurants. You can get a list of some of the specialty uh, stuff that you have that you can buy there to eat. And you can make it a destination. I remember you used to go out and do dinner and a movie. You'd go to a restaurant. And then you'd go to the theater. You can do it all right from one place. And the food is really great. You can go to the uh, bar they have there and get a drink beforehand if you want. Uh, If you're meeting a large group of people, that's always fun. Hey, we'll meet in the bar and then we'll go in and get the movie. I already got the tickets. Meet me there. Uh, It's really a destination thing. And Marcus has really changed the way we see movies, especially in the St. Louis area, because it is a destination event. And it's fantastic with the big comfy seats they've re-been, uh, redone the theaters here like we marcus and the in chesterfield and i won't see a movie anywhere else uh it, it's a great time to see a movie with all these fantastic movies out and a great place to do it marcus theaters marcustheaters.com is the website so check them out for more information on making yourself go to a first class movie experience right before the break we were talking with andrea romano about her thoughts on the final season of voltron and I know the last time you and I spoke, it was right before the final season of Voltron dropped, and you said you were going to binge it on day one, just like everybody else. <laughs> uh, how did how did you like it? Uh, were you surprised by it? I mean, obviously, I you probably knew some I stuff, but surprised and delighted and uh, you know instantly reached out to the voice director uh, Serena Irwin who I had um, 
coached and mentored and complimented her on her fine work and spoke with the two producers, Joaquin and Lauren, and just told them how stellar I thought that series was from start to finish. And, you know, Lauren had told me that it was their intention to end the series in a way that no one would be able to just pick it up from where it ended and continue to make more episodes. Mm -hmm. She wanted it to have some nice closure that then if somebody wanted to do more, they would have to come up with a different storyline that right. has to be done from a different way. And and I just, I loved it. I thought it was so interesting and so sensitively handled. And, um, and it made me, you know, sad in a way that I wasn't a part of it and, and proud also at how it was done without me. So I'm, I was all good. And now that you're enjoying your retirement, uh, you, it, it's, it's been in your blood, animation and directing. Do you keep up with a lot of the, like you said, just said, have you seen the new DuckTales? Uh, do you, what, what have- do you watch? I, I, I watch, uh, you know, I don't watch as much animation as I used to. Um, animation, I love animation. I always have loved animation. I don't watch as much um, simply because I, there's so much content across the board yeah. for every kind of viewing. And just now, as of yesterday, the um, Emmys, the primetime Emmys needed to be voted on. So I had to do a tremendous amount of screening of mm. things. And I, I take that honor and that responsibility very seriously to vote and so i make sure that i do watch episodes of everything so that i can vote and this is live action as well as um animation but what i was so pleasantly surprised about and i I believe i can speak about this is um there's a a series that i I, i've watched several episodes of i don't watch it regularly uh bojack horseman yeah and i'm I'm not crazy about the way it looks. You know, it's not, it's just not, it just seems it's got an oddness to it that it's not appealing to me. That doesn't mean that I don't think it's a wonderful show and and a viable show. But there's an episode that was submitted for, I believe it was for the show, not for the actor. And it's a tour de force for the actor who plays um, Bojack Horseman. What is his name? Um, The wonderful deep voice guy that plays Batman on the Lego movies. He's from um, oh, oh, oh. Development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, Joey just said Absolutely. it. I can't. It's, it's escaped. Will Arnett. Yes, Will Arnett. Thank you. God, I hate that I forget his name. <laughs> um, I, I adore him. I think he's one of the funniest human beings on the planet. He's got that great voice. But this episode is it's a one-man show. It's really just him speaking a eulogy to his hateful mother. And it sounds like not a, not a, uh, a comic, you know, uh, a plot, but it is brilliant hmm. he does such a good job it's a tour de force and why it wasn't nominated as a performance emmy i don't know he was not nominated for a performance but it's to me it is so good he was so wonderful in it and it ends with a funny little twist and uh and it, and it made it it, it it changed my mind i i was able to say let's not worry about so much how it looks let's look at this performance because it's awesome and uh and i was so i I do watch a lot of animation i saw a bunch of steven's universe was really interesting to me i had never really spent much time watching that show and their submission was excellent and and then there's other shows that i like and you know when you're voting on um emmys Sometimes you're voting for a series, and sometimes you're voting for an episode. Mm -hmm. And so you may watch an episode of something, just a pure example, SpongeBob SquarePants, and you may say, I love that series. I absolutely love that series. And then you watch the specific episode, and and this is not the case with this year, but I'm just giving that as an example. Um, You watch an episode, and you go, I'm not crazy about this episode. 
And sure, yeah. as far as the Emmy rules are, you have to vote on that episode. You can't vote on the whole you know, uh, production. You hmm. must vote on that episode. And so not some series that maybe every other episode was great that season, but the one they submitted isn't the one that you think is a really good example. And somebody submits an episode of another series that you're kind of ho-hum about, but the episode they submitted was awesome. You must, you know, honor the, the rules of the, the Emmys. And so I'm, I'm very proud to still be very active with Emmys and Screen Actors Guild Awards and, and those events. And it makes me very happy to see my friends who are still working in the industry um, doing so well, making such good content. And talking about how active you are in the industry, I was very saddened uh, because I almost pulled the trigger and flew out for the big Stan Lee tribute earlier this year. Um, and I saw pictures online afterwards and you were there. I'm like, oh, I could have seen Andrea Romano again. <laughs> uh, but that looked like a, a who's who of everybody was there turned out for this, the Stan Lee tribute. That was a great evening. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, there were about 10 people that I tried to get to to see, to say hello, that I knew Seth Green spoke and, um, gosh, a handful of people there spoke that I knew really well and I never could get to them. Mark Hamill, you know, we were texting each other back and forth and we just could not get through the crowds to get to each other to actually have a hug and say hello. Um, but it was a beautifully produced evening and um, Kevin Smith did a wonderful job of interviewing. And, and what they did, I'm sure you saw some of the footage is they would take groups of four or five people and put them on a panel and then do a bunch of discussions and then show some footage and then have some questions and answers and it was wonderful but it was a very very long evening and i was incredibly proud to be a part of it at all it was just really lovely and and uh yes i was i was happy to be there and i'm sorry that you didn't go uh and that uh, and we'll find each other somewhere else some some other events coming up yeah, I was going to say, you've, uh, you've not been to Chicago before. I think you said last time we spoke on air that you hadn't been to St. Louis, so we need to get you to St. Louis for a please, convention. Please, I would love to. Yes, please. If you have any connections with the people there who do the Comic-Cons there, please let them know that I'm available and interested in doing Comic-Cons and coming to explore that nice city. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk off air. I'll get some information about your booking agent. Uh, but I, we'd love to have you. I've already talked with a few people who do smaller shows and I said we should probably join forces and try to get Andre and some other people out here because I know you've expressed interest and I know uh, I, I can show you all the best places to eat. You'll leave here 10 pounds heavier. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I, I think that's a great idea. I, you know, there were so many times I was invited to various Comic-Cons throughout the world and I couldn't go because I was working so much. And now that I'm not working, I'm trying to get the word out to people that I now am available. And um, and I, I think I still have some information to share. You know, Absolutely. I think I still have something that would be worthwhile. And, and before I, I feel like I'm not you know, pertinent anymore. I would like to get out there and, and continue to meet the fans. And the fans always make me feel like a million dollars. They're so kind to me. And they, they come up and, and and maybe they're just passing by, you know, just got an autograph from Kevin Conway, and they're just passing by my table, and they'll just stop to say, thank you for what you did to my childhood, which was all positive and lovely and wonderful. And, and that means so much to me that people stop to take the time to just say hi and tell me that. So thank you to all the fans who do that. Perfect. I will reach out because, yeah, we'd love to have you in St. Louis. Um, and like I said, my wife and I would be glad to take you and your husband out to dinner and, uh, and show you the town. It's a really great town, St. Oh, Louis. Oh, yes, please. I'd love to. One of my dear friends, Pat Music, um, is from there. And she speaks so highly of it, and she goes quite often to see her mom. Uh, Pat's a, a voiceover actress for many years, one of my dearest friends. And her daughter is the wonderful actress Mae Whitman. Oh, you wow. Mae yeah. Whitman? I do know the name, yes, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and so they've often mentioned wonderful things about that city, so I would love to go there. Thank you. And now I'll be on the lookout for uh, Hippie Hooray, the Woodstock story, too. It's another book for my Excellent. bookshelf now. <laughs> Check it out. Excellent. Thanks so much. It's always nice speaking with you. You as well. Thank you for your time. Take care. Always a pleasure talking to Andrea Romano. We'll hopefully have her on again soon. We'll talk about that book when she gets it finished. Uh, she's not on Twitter, but if you want to uh, do the hashtag Andrea Romano, I know that trends quite a bit because a lot of people, she's touched so many lives, uh, both in the professional community and people like me who grew up watching all these animated shows that she brilliantly cast and directed. We're going to take our last break and come back and wrap things up, so stand by. Let's go bonkers. Yeah, totally nuts. Bonkers. No Hey you guys, this is Raphael of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles And after we've kicked Shredder's butt We all get down the sewer and we listen to Geek to Me Radio Turtle Power! And that's going to wrap it up for another show Thank you all for listening If you Make sure you check out the Patreon We've got some bonus content from the last couple of shows If you uh, like the guests, we've got bonus off-air content You can go to patreon.com, search geek to me Radio Subscribe there Next week we've got Brian Volkwies Talking all about the Netflix special The Toys That Made Us So until next week, my friends Good night.